Welcome to Caleb Can't Read. I'm Jordan Rabel. I'm Caleb Terrence. Did you know that uh, we're supposed to have an end of the world thing happening next year? Um, wait, like a like a legit climate change one or like no, a no, no. Thing? This is like, like a 2012 thing. Oh, that's okay. except it's it's not Mayans again. Oh, I actually ooh. don't think it's I don't think it's any demographic. What spicy ethnicity is it now? I don't think it's any of them. I think it's just a bunch of doomsday cultists. Oh, but like once 2012 ended, and I was like. Just I was like looking it up to prepare myself for like what's what's going to be the next stupid fucking thing. Mm-hmm. It, I at, at that point, it was 2025 when we're supposed to have some sort of solar flare cook the earth and kill us all. Mm. And I was like, oh, OK, well, that's a ways yet. And no, I've still continued to hear fucking doomsday shit ever since then, except, you know, this time it turns out to be like, you know, this politician will kill us or that politician will kill us. It never really comes down to the I mean, there's like climate people out there that are like. Hey, you know, this is going to kill us eventually, but everyone's like, meh, like, no. <laughs> I'm waiting for the end of the world, son. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not going to, like, if it's bullshit, then it's a sudden, quick end to the world. If it's not bullshit, it's going to be a long, drawn-out thing where the world's not going to end, and your life is just going to become shittier and shittier and shittier and I'm shittier. I'm happy that you brought that up, because actually the Book of Revelations states that it's it's, you know... It's uh, it's going to take a little bit. It takes time, yeah, you know, yeah. which is why I'm happy for God. you to announce that you are a friend of Christ. What What are we doing, man? <laughs> None of that. Okay, don't don't be don't I hope don't do a bunch of weird atheist edgelord shit for an episode. Oh, God, no. OK, no, no, no. If we're doing any edgelord shit, I'll bring the Nazis into it. There are none here. OK, <laughs> Michael de Nostradam was born on either the 14th or 21st of December. 1503 in Saint-Rémy-de-Provence, France, to his parents Jacques and Rainier. Now, we can only trace Michael's lineage back to uh, so far since his grandfather changed his last name when he converted this, uh, the Jewish family to Catholicism, choosing the last name de Nostradam, which means Our Lady, in reference, of course, to the Virgin Mary. In fact, we know very little about Michael's childhood at all, except that he was one of nine children. At the age of 14, Michael studied what was called the Trivium, which was grammar, rhetoric, and logic, at the University of Avignon, about 13 miles away. As a side note, you may be interested to learn that the school was opened in 1303 by Pope Boniface VIII, mortal enemy of Dante. Oh, yeah. Pope Boniface. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Michael was basically studying something akin to being a philosophy major, which back then wasn't an embarrassing major to have. So he studied at the University of Avignon for about four years before the school had to temporarily close its doors due to an outbreak of the plague. You remember watching the news when you were a kid, just hoping that the, you know, your district closed down due to the plague, you know, plague day. Um, <laughs> you remember when that happened a few years ago? <laughs> Jordan. That's right. It wasn't very funny. <laughs> no. Ooh, ooh, you made a boo-boo. I remember coming back from Japan and they were like, my work was like, okay, you got to stay quarantined. And I was like, but there's an outbreak in Gresham right now. You know, <laughs> like they're like, hey, I'm just saying, you know, like, yeah, stop traveling around the place, you (laughs) fucking piece of shit. Well, in lieu of his scholarly education, the now 18 year old Michael would decide to continue his studies on the streets, traveling the countryside for the next eight years, researching herbal medicines. During these eight long years, Michael studied as an apothecary, someone who treats illnesses with homeopathic medicine, you know, bullshit. 
However, <laughs> what, Michael? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> what, Michael? The written jokes never hit well. <laughs> they just don't, man. When Michael wanted to become was a real doctor, however, one with a real knowledge of the human body. So in 1529, at the age of 26, Michael de Nostradam entered the University of Montpellier to study medicine. However, he was quickly expelled when it was discovered that he was an apothecary. I was going to say, he didn't tell anybody he was an apothecary. (laughs) (laughs) It was seen as an insult to medicine. He'd get beat up by whatever the, (laughs) like, historical... Nerds of the time were. (laughs) Like, whatever whatever would qualify as a jock in an old-timey medical college. (laughs) Look, Frank hasn't been hit by the plague. Oh, he's the toughest guy in school. Yeah, his expulsion letter still exists in the school library to this day. You can go check it out, which is oh, kind of a big deal. Yeah. Or wait, I guess they just keep records of that shit. They do, okay, I, which is weird. But I mean, yeah, aren't you supposed to throw out your tax records after like three years? I mean, come on. Well, with his dreams of being a real doctor dashed, Michael continued his work as an apothecary, supposedly inventing a, quote, rose pill that he told people would keep the plague away and selling it on the streets. Now, apparently, this did work to some degree because rosebuds are packed with vitamin D, which is essential to those afflicted. And we still I, get sold this bullshit to this day. <laughs> well, I don't think Michael necessarily knew that, but it's lucky for him that you it take, I don't have to get my flu shot. I fucking take my goddamn vitamin D pills. Like <laughs> This is thanks. working out a lot better than the poo-poo pills he was selling. Like, yeah, <laughs> duh, you know? <laughs> so a couple of years after his start as a professional apothecary, Michael was approached by physician Julius Scaliger in 1531 to come to the town of Ajan, possibly to hear Michael's theories on medicine. Now, here's the thing. I think while there were people out there smart enough to know that holistic medicine was stupid as shit, like the people who kicked Michael out of the University of Montpellier, medicine was ultimately guesswork back then. And some people weren't convinced that all of Michael's work was bullshit yet. You know, I kind of feel like the science wasn't there. Whenever I go to the doctor now, I honestly just feel like it's it's not guesswork, but it's definitely just Google work. They do Google a lot more than you were hoping for. Honestly, I feel like, honestly, you it's know just, why you don't get to see their screen when they're typing shit up? In yeah, the dude, it's like I honestly feel like I Google some shit. I go in, I'm concerned, and then they're like, then they leave the room and they're like, yeah, sounds to me like you have this. Uh, I put in the same Google search you did. So <laughs> here we go. You have to go through all these steps and give money now in order for you to have access to a pharmacy. I was having a slight <laughs> cough and I looked it up and it said cancer. So I decided to come visit you. Yeah. I looked it up and said cancer too, dude, you're fucked. Like, <laughs> but nobody's ever told me you don't have cancer. They're just like, you probably don't. Don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> well, they want to keep their fucking like the lawsuit out of their hands. Like, hey, hey, judge. I said he maybe doesn't <laughs> like not. No, <laughs> like, <sighs> well, either way, it appears that it was in the town of Ajan that Michael met his future wife, though her name has been lost to history. Around this same time, an Inquisition, not the Spanish one, but one just like it, was making its way through France. When it reached the town of Ajan, the Grand Inquisitor was very interested in Michael and his medicinal practices. You see, homeopathic medicine, being the bullshit that it is, can be akin to magic. I mean, you're doing random shit and hoping for the best. And sometimes the best happens. What this could be seen as is magic at work. And specifically, this Inquisition was after magicians. Now, in the end, Michael was not... What a job. (laughs) 
<laughs> in the end, though, Michael was not. I specialize seen. in magicians. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, dude. Well, luckily for him, he wasn't seen as a magician, but not without a lot of discussions between him and the Grand Inquisitor. Now, within a few short years of moving to the town of Ajan, it appears that Michael and his wife got married, had two sons, and then by 1534, they all died of the plague, leaving Michael by himself once again. Like two years, done. Damn. <laughs> Retired. Well, no longer being drugged down by the old ball and chain. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck did I just tell you about written jokes? <laughs> he decides to once again travel, perhaps going as far as Italy. And Michael's intentions on this journey aren't exactly known. It's possible that he was learning more medicinal procedures and practices as he made his way through different countries, or uh, he might have just been peddling more bullshit to peasants. We don't know. But either way, here's what we do know. In 1545, when Michael was 42 years old, he was commissioned by yet another physician to help him fight an outbreak of the plague in his town of Marseille. And then another person commissioned him to help out at their town. And then another. And another. And soon, Michael got a bit of a name for himself as someone who possibly knew what the fuck he was talking about. Okay, so we're going pretty hard on him yeah. for doing the natural medicine thing. But compared to the legit medicine of the time... Did they really have any grounds? I think that there were a lot point. of. I think that there were a lot of crossed paths between apothecary and doctor. Honestly. Okay, like, like, because <laughs> like, like now, sure, you can bitch at him mm -hmm. to some extent, but I just really feel like they're not on higher ground at the moment. Yeah, you know what it actually came down to is this is I I do know a bit of plague history because I'm a you know I'm me, but the um so the thing is is that they we changed up a lot of shit because of the plague. It's the reason we basically followed the same rules in the plague as we did during fucking COVID. Like we used to bury people in our front yards, our family members in the front yards so that, you know, whoever knew them can just like, Hey, do you remember old John? Yeah, he's dead. Oh, let's go by his house and pay our respects. You know, you didn't have to go to a cemetery, but because of the plague, they wanted the bodies far fucking away, which actually helped. And so they put them into cemeteries. What does this have to do with COVID now? I I'm just saying like, Oh, well, why did you, you start did, saying this that way? No, no, because we, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm so confused. No, no, okay. Yes. Uh, hang on. I was making two different points. I'm sorry. All so right. my first point there is that that's something that was like, they didn't know about germ theory or anything like that, but they were doing shit on a hunch. And those were real doctors saying that I could see somebody with like apothecary medicine kind of saying the same thing. Like, Hey, maybe stay away from the dead fucking bodies. Maybe you won't, you know, catch death. Maybe it's not a godly design thing. I could see that happening. Um, but that did lead to basically us staying away from others when they were sick, which is what we've been doing for like COVID-19. People started wearing masks back then. It, the death rate went down. It, it's connected in my mind and that's all that matters to Your me. Your associate is really apparent right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little tired. The coffee's still kicking in. <laughs> You're just not drunk and I'm not, we have, so I can't function. <laughs> is it like this every time and I'm just too drunk to realize how fucking stupid you are? Holy shit. <laughs> well, we need to do on. fucking 10 a.m. recordings. Eventually, often, <laughs> eventually, Michael would be on call for on towns with a good, within a good 50 mile radius to help them clear the plague. This included the town of Salon de Provence, where Michael would eventually settle down. It was there in that town, sometime around 1547 that Michael married for a second time, this time with a rich widow. And this one didn't die immediately. 
They together had six children, half of them daughters, and half of them sons. Sometime around the 1540s, Michael took another trip to Italy. Now, it may seem a little strange, but like I'd mentioned before, medicine had very little science to it at the time, and therefore, magic was sometimes seen as a very real and practiced method. Today, we would call this practice the occult, and the occult is exactly what Michael began to study. Now, do you know what an almanac is? Uh, no, man. Uh, basically, it's a handbook that's supposed to mark like how much rain is coming on what day of the year or what the moon cycles will be. Basically, it's what uh, it was used by farmers quite often. So when you go to the grocery store, that's why you'll see the farmer's almanac. It's basically a rain calendar, okay. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, you see them by the checkout line. Where so, else can I see them, Jordan? That's about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Neat. Anyway, back then, things like horoscopes and, uh, and astrology were seen with just as much reality as the weather. So those things were included in almanacs as well. Now, while Michael was getting commissioned to wipe entire towns clean of the plague, he was getting a name for himself with the local nobility. With his practices in the occult, the rich would often ask him to read their fortunes based on astrology. So he figured, why not make my own? <laughs> you know, you're acting like a fucking Pisces right now. Shut the fuck up. So he figured... Why not make my own almanac with all these horoscopes included and get paid tenfold, you know, sell it to the public. So in 1550, Michael de Nostradam released his first almanac, Latinizing his name to how he would forever be known as Nostradamus. All right. Do you not know Nostradamus? Yeah, I mean, I have I gone through my life without ever hearing that name before? No. <laughs> All right, motherfucker, we'll buckle down. Okay. Now, for the next five years, Nostradamus would produce anywhere between one to three almanacs a year, each one coming with new predictions based on star alignments and birthdays and whatnot. But what's funny is that even back then, astrologers who had entire careers founded on predicting bullshit based on the alignment of planets actually pointed out that Nostradamus was wrong when it came to where the celestial bodies would be on any given day. Like, he had no idea what the fuck he was talking about. He thought he did, but he just didn't. However, seemingly, the public didn't care. Because very quickly, Nostradamus's almanac became the hot item that everyone wanted. Did he get inquisitioned? Uh, no. Okay. I mean, they will come up again, though. Okay. <laughs> Soon enough, Nostradamus would begin work on his magnum opus called The Prophecies where he would produce a thousand what are called quatrains, which are basically short riddles, almost like poems, into one book. Each quatrain would hold a prediction that Nostradamus had about the future of France, Europe, and the world. But here's the thing. Supposedly, these quatrains that he produced, they weren't supposed to be so cryptic. No, he wanted to come right out and say shit like, you know, the king will crap himself to death in 1580, something like that. You know, he wanted... To tell people the truth about the future, but he couldn't because anything that he could have written because he couldn't literally no, 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 because if he wrote anything about religious figures, nobility, even about public relations with other nations that could have easily gotten him arrested or killed. Are you sure? So they say, are you sure it wasn't that I believe, you know, where I'm going with this. Are you <laughs> so, sure? You know, are you sure it wasn't just that he could not do that? Cause that's not possible. Did you? Well, unbeliever. So here, so he made a, each thing a riddle. All right. For instance, Quote, oh, is it vague also? Uh, huh? Is it vague also? Could oh, it be yeah. applied very easily to it, like many situations? But, but okay. he's he's thinking of something specific. Look, man, I get it. Everybody needs money, okay? But goddamn. 
Roman pontiff, beware of coming to the city where two rivers flow. Your blood will spurt near there, you and yours, when the rose blooms. <laughs> Come on, man. It's obvious. You that know? made me so angry. <laughs> yeah, it means absolutely nothing. But what it may sound like is that a pope, the current one at that time, or a future pope, will be murdered when he arrives to a city that has two rivers. Fucking avoid... Well, now how many cities don't have to? We're in I Portland, <laughs> so and we I don't get to have two. It I intersects so. at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, though. That shuts off a lot of the world. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the old time French didn't have a word for a creek as well. I, I mean, don't that's know. at least one specific thing. Stay away from rivers. But it, but here's the thing about fortune cookies and horoscopes. You can make any of this shit true if you want it to. If a pope got murdered out in the desert, someone would still say that the tears from his two eyes make two metaphorical rivers. So it's therefore true. Oh, yeah. It's all it's all bullshit, of course, but that's what makes Nostradamus famous. However, the prophecies had issues even getting released. So he's like the bullshit artist. Uh, he was number one, baby. And he still is to this day. <laughs> you don't know how many fucking scholars <laughs> I had to look at their fucking websites. <laughs> and none of them are going to get credit in this episode. <laughs> the book was published in three volumes, but Nostradamus had issues with the publisher of the first two volumes after they were produced, so the last volume went to someone else. However, whoever the publisher of the third volume was, they wanted to do things their own way. So 78 of those quatrains that Nostradamus wrote are actually missing, and we have no fucking idea what they could have been. He could have predicted a lot of things. Oh no, you know? what the fuck are we going to do without those? <laughs> hey man. He could have. He could have told us about climate change. He could have you know, told us about nine eleven. He could have told us about COVID. He could have told us about Harambe. <laughs> okay, not Harambe, but I, those first two. Yes, there are quatrains for those supposedly. There's, but there's no quatrain for Harambe. <laughs> you fucking kidding me right now? Why are you laughing? <laughs> That's what started all this shit. <laughs> Well, the book was published. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. What I find funny is that there are so many code breakers out there trying to figure out the answers behind Nostradamus's riddles. And most of them will look to older copies of the prophecies, like original copies made in French. And they'll notice a misspelling with one of the words, and it'll change their whole perspective on what it could mean. Like, oh, you see, that letter should be an O, not an E. There's a riddle within the riddle. And they'll spend all this time explaining what it could have possibly meant. But typeset printing back then was extremely demanding at best. And historians have literally noted that it is rare if any of the two of the older editions of the prophecies actually match on any given copy. Like, <laughs> We're honestly not even sure if the quatrains within the book itself are what Nostradamus had originally even written. Like they could have just mixed it up because it printed better. Doesn't, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't. You know, it could have, though, had they not fucked it up. Okay. Well, when The Prophecies was released in 1555, it actually didn't have that much buzz around it. More than anything, it seemed to piss people off. Because while trying to hide his intentions and in riddles, the riddles sometimes ended up sounding quite demonic. Quote, Within the pit, bones will be found. The stepmother will commit incest. 
the state changed. They demand fame and praise, and Mars will be the attending star. I think maybe that was a porno. Help me, stepson. <laughs> I'm stuck. Mars, I'm stuck. <laughs> so while Nostradamus supposedly didn't want to get in trouble for being too obvious about what the quatrains meant, he was now in trouble for being rumored to be some kind of Satanist. This once again put him in the direct line of sight of the Inquisition. But as he was quick to point out, astrology and prophecies do not fall into the category of magic, so he's technically broken no laws. And surprisingly, that fucking worked. Mm. And I'm sure he even saw this coming because many times... So he times, does know how to be specific. Yeah. Many times in his work, he actually points out like, hey, I'm no prophet. Don't call me a prophet. That would imply I'm being given divine powers, and I don't have those. So even though he named his most well-known work The Prophecies, he's not a prophet. Now, you know how back I'm surprised the- you got away with this because all that star shit is not very Christy at all. Uh, no, uh, but it was seen as a science, you know. Oh. It, it was uh, it was Christian science. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah you oh, know, okay. like, you know, uh, hey, God wanted it that way, right? Uh, all right. I'm not, okay. I'm, yeah, sure. I'm following. Whatever. Keep reading. <laughs> you know how back in like the 1950s, there were bands just covering each other's work until one of them puts out the best version of a song and then it's known as their song? Or stealing. Yeah. Well, that was kind of the way things were done back in the medieval days for writers as well. We kind of talked about this with Chaucer and how some of the stories in the Canterbury Tales are actually just ones he stole from Italian authors. But you had to put your own little flair on things, you know? (laughs) You couldn't just pretend that the the work was yours. People would absolutely notice. Well, wouldn't you be surprised to find out that Nostradamus did the same thing with his predictions, except it was just straight-up plagiarism? The prophecies had a lot of quatrains that would sometimes be plagiarized word for word from older works. And I mean a lot. He did this a lot. Even when Nostradamus referenced astrology in his book, he was using someone else's almanac. It seems that his main source was an anonymous work called Mirabilis Liber, which was translated to Latin in 1522, in which we know Nostradamus used or owned. And those demonic quatrains that got him in trouble for being a Satanist he was just ripping that stuff straight out of the book of Revelations. I mean, we know for a fact that Nostradamus used certain books as reference to say in his own work. The evidence is just too damning. But of course, we'll never really know, because once the prophecies was published, a small fire broke out in Nostradamus's library, destroying specifically his books on the occult. That's weird. But he admitted to it, too. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I burned all my fucking occult books. He just didn't say that he did this to hide any evidence of plagiarism. He never really said why he did it, but it fucking worked. It took about a hundred years for someone to even begin to find all the shit he was ripping off. However, although the prophecies was a flop and got Nostradamus more trouble than fame, he did have one major admirer, the fucking queen of France, Catherine de Medici. Now, although Nostradamus tried his best to veil any threats he was making to royalty, they were still incredibly easy to pick out. And Catherine de Medici easily recognized them just like everyone else. So she called up Nostradamus and ordered him to the palace. Now, Nostradamus was fairly certain that he was going there to be beheaded, but when he arrived, Catherine wanted him to look at their son's fucking star charts. She just she didn't think Nostradamus was making threats up at all. She thought he legitimately had visions and wanted to specifically know what they were concerning her and her family. In fact, he would be made the official counselor and physician to her son, Charles IX. And it's not like Catherine de' Medici didn't have other kids. In fact, she just had another one the very year she called up Nostradamus. Oh, 
So why didn't she have him be physician to the rest of her kids? It's because Charles IX was the only healthy heir. All the other all the other kids were all like all weird and shaky and shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't need a chart to see where these kids are going. <laughs> but of course, Catherine was blamed for every kid and poor health she had. For every healthy child, it was the work of God. And I mean, she was not treated well at all by either the public or her family. And I looked into it just for the hell of it. Is it, it because she hired strange star start people <laughs> to take care of her children? No, that, I think that she turned to him because she was getting all this grief from everyone, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, and so I looked into it, but she ended up having 10 kids overall and very few of them survived childhood. Oh. Her last birth was of twin girls and one of the kids just wasn't coming out. So the doctor decided to break the baby's legs while it was still inside Catherine to get her out. That kid ended up dying while still being birthed, and the other died not long after. So yeah, this lady, she's not in the right headspace for a lot of things. And it's okay. If you want to do horoscopes, do horoscopes. She's been having a rough go. (laughs) She's been not having a great time. Okay, yeah, hire a dude. I hope hope he's not making a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Pay me and all you'll pee. Well, for the first- What the fuck? What? He's a- a, homeopathic medicine dude i'm sure you'd oh. find use for it no dude that's got to be your grandson's piss mm. idiot that's true well for the first 10 years of catherine de medici and king henry ii's marriage she didn't bear any children at all therefore when she had her first kid the public saw that as a sign that something must have changed and since god would have blessed them with a child immediately it must mean that catherine de medici was now an occultist and honestly, maybe, maybe she was. I know she was desperate to get children, so it would make sense that she not only tried other methods, but that's how she got into Nostradamus's work as well. But regardless, hiring Nostradamus to be a royal physician did not do Catherine any favors. And the popular rumor had been that he gave her a magic amulet made of goat blood and human blood for unknown reasons. Probably for the kids. Because it was magic, idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does what I want it to, dumbass. <laughs> Now, we don't know how long Nostradamus was employed by the court or even what his advice may have been, but apparently royalty did continue to visit him at his home afterwards. And of course, when royalty started dropping, people started attributing certain quatrains of the prophecies to truth. You see, when King Henry II was in a friendly jousting match, his opponent's lance splintered and a fragment of it lodged into King Henry's eye. It took a very painful 10 days to die. But according to Nostradamus's 35th quatrain in Century One of Prophecies, published four years earlier, the young lion shall overcome the old. On the field of war, in a single combat, he will pierce his eyes in a cage of gold. This is the first of two lappings, then he dies a cruel death. Now, I don't think King Henry II was wearing gold armor, nor do I get what he means by the first of two lappings, and the quatrain says eyes plural instead of eyes singular. But it doesn't matter because it's close enough. But it hit one thing. Yeah. (laughs) One of those words is a thing. (laughs) And this was, from what I could see, the first of many times that people would start attributing major events to Nostradamus' work. And what's funny about this is that I have two different books on Nostradamus, one from 1980 and another from 1994. And it's just funny how quickly the dates for certain things pass to a future date because nothing happened in the year they were expecting things to happen. Like this quatrain here, the chief of Fossan will have his throat cut by the leader of Bloodhound and Greyhound. The deed is done by those 
of the Tarpeian Rock, Saturn and Leo, February 13th. Now that last part is very specific, Saturn and Leo, February 13th, which could only allow for very specific dates. But as one scholar said that this date predicts the year 2007 and nothing happened, he later said that it would actually be the year 2036, or 2066, or 2095. And of course, every edition of the prophecies comes out with some other scholars' predictions, like next to it, which just so happens to scholars. Yes, I don't know what else to call them. Wizards, nerds, <laughs> and it, all these quatrains happen to coincide. Magicians, they happen. To, they coincide with things topical to the time it was printed and in what country. For instance, the one book I have from 1980 is very concerned with all the communist conspiracies that Nostradamus is predicting. Hitler is also named a multitude of times. Who, of course, was a huge Nostradamus fan because, of course, he fucking was. Well, he was a dumbass. So. Yeah, and he was very into the occult because he was a fucking geek. Hitler even once dropped leaflets quoting Nostradamus over France before taking the country, saying that their defeat had already been foretold. I can go over why France's defeat could have been foretold by <laughs> We're scared, but not because it's foretold. We're scared that you have this much power right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I can go over why France's defeat could have been foretold by literally anyone at that time. But anyway... But of course, the most famous of Nostradamus's quatrains have been about the coming apocalypse, most of which points out the date 1999, when the world famously didn't end. This famous prediction even led to a 1974 Japanese disaster flick called Pro- Prophecies of Nostradamus, the approaching month of July 1999 and the day of humanity's collapse. I'd probably be a sick fucking movie to go back and watch, actually. Now, Nostradamus, being a doctor also published two books of medicine. One seems to be an academic look at the medicines that Roman physician Galen created, and the other was an apothecary cookbook, released the same year as the prophecies in 1555. This book was used for a variety of things, including chapters on how to make the hair golden blonde, how to make a laxative rose syrup, and how to truly make the lover's sexual potion which the ancients used for lovemaking. Sounds a little rapey. The whole love potion thing's a little rapey. What makes it rapey? Uh, well, okay, okay. Now, when you say love potion, do you mean just like boner pill? Yeah, probably. Okay, like love potion implies that like it's a potion you give oh, to yeah, someone yeah. to like right. make them love you. But if you just have it's a just roofies, <laughs> like a boner pill can a hundred percent be used consensually. Yeah, it can. Like it can. <laughs> like. Well, the book actually had a number of problematic instructions, as you can imagine, but my favorites have to do with removing spots on your face with mercury and the numerous uses of pee. And this book (laughs) was used... One use. Drink it. (laughs) (laughs) This book was actually used by a lot of people on how to relieve themselves from the plague, but obviously bloodletting and pee drinking just wasn't the ticket. Also published in this year is a book called Oris Apollo de Osiris, Roy de Egypt Niliac de Notes Hieroglyphics. Now, we know Nostradamus worked on this book sometime in the mid-1530s, around the time he went to Italy to fight the plague and before he met his second wife, even. Sorry. (laughs) I just thought about drinking pee. (laughs) Fuck. Would you like a glass of apple juice to wash it down? No. Just give me a okay. moment. I can warm it up, too. No, but now I'm ready to drink. <laughs> but what Nostradamus said the book was about and what it actually are is two different things. What it actually are? What it actually be. How it be. Indeed. Okay. 
He said that this was a book of verses translated from an ancient Grecian text, which in turn was a translation of hieroglyphics found in Egypt. But both the Grecian translation as well as the Egyptian original were supposedly lost forever. But the reality is that Oris Apollo is just a bad French translation of the hieroglyphica, which had been translated in Latin in 1517 and was widely popular and already known by writers like Francois Rabelais and artists like Raphael. People knew what it was as soon as it came out, but yet again, Nostradamuses believe what he said to be true, that the work really is something only he has ever seen, and that the French is bad not because Nostradamus barely knew Greek, but because the guy translating it from hieroglyphs to Greek did a poor job of it instead. But basically what he's doing here is taking something he wrote over 20 years ago and releasing it with a made-up backstory to make some money. Now, Salon de Provence, where Nostradamus lived, was a fairly waterless town, actually residing on the edge of a desert. But with a contractor named Adam de Crapon, <laughs> I don't have another way of reading that. Here, try it. Okay, okay, I can give you this. Yeah. Craponi? Craponi, dude. That, but they're French. There's an E on the fucking end of it. Yeah, as well as in French. He's not Italian, though, is he? Craponi? I mean, Craponi? It, some Either Italian people live in France, man. I don't fucking know. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. Like, Crapone? Crapone? Crap on. I think it's I feel crap like it's Crapone. Crapone? Ah, Crapone. Oh, All yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that barely makes it better. <laughs> so. <laughs> now it sounds like you want me to crap on you, but in French. <laughs> Make it swirl. <laughs> but with a contractor named Adam de Crapone. <laughs> the town was irrigated with water dredged from the Durance River to what is now called the Crap on Canal. Canal. <laughs> no fucking way. The Crap on Canal. <laughs> now, water, of course, is not free, so anyone who put a little money towards the canal's construction would, of course, be entitled to a little scratch in return. Since Michael's second wife was a wealthy widow, he put forth a little of his sugar mama's money into the project, where they were given one-thirteenth of the profits in return. And apparently this project did land them a hefty sum, some, uh, because uh, Adam de Crapone, who himself would have had a much larger cut, was supposedly poisoned by jealous Italian workers that completed the project and felt that they got stiffed. Well, no more crap on. Crap on, crap off. <laughs> Anyway. (laughs) Fuck you. Now, Nostradamus would continue to publish almanacs throughout his life, though not at the rate he used to, with random predictions and horoscopes interspersed. But since astrology dealt with reading the heavens, he had to get permission from the Catholic Church every time he wanted an almanac printed, you know, so they could like have someone go over it and approve it for being correct, reading God's sky chart correctly. Well, one time in 1561, Nostradamus forgot to get the approval of a bishop, leading to his arrest, where he had a brief stint in jail. In the last few years, hey, of did his he life, predict that? <laughs> oh, you know what? Yeah, I don't know why he still did it then, but <laughs> in the last few years of his life, Nostradamus was plagued by gout, which had finalized into dropsy, an affliction which causes your body tissues to swell with fluid. In late June of 1566, he drew up a will with his lawyer, paying off whatever debts he still owed, and bequeathing his last 3,444 crowns to his family, what is today around $300,000. However, in order for his family to receive this money, 
His daughters would need to get married, his sons would need to turn 25, and his wife would surprisingly, surprisingly need to remarry. I guess he wanted to make sure they were secure and not just relying on his money, which honestly, that's kind of a good call for a dude of that time period. Well, bedridden, Nostradamus supposedly told his secretary on July 1st, 1566, that he would not live to see the sunrise. Sure enough, the next morning, he was found dead. Did you see it in the stars? No, I feel really bad. Yeah. Now, obviously, this story is bullshit. Like, it's just one last prophecy that came true. But this tale wasn't even printed until like a hundred years after his death by some fan of his. More than likely, Nostradamus died very slow and very painfully and was holding on for dear life for as long as he fucking could. One book that I have says that he even guessed the very hour he would he would die. But again, bullshit. His tomb was originally in a Franciscan chapel, but during the French Revolution in the 1700s, his body was moved to the Collegial Saint Laurent, which is good because the Franciscan chapel he was originally in turned into a uh, restaurant eventually. They got a pretty limited menu, but it looks good, honestly. Mm. Uh, low brochery in Aeon Provence. Oh, fucking what? Oh, it's just like, you know, that's the name of the place. It's called Le Brochery. It's in uh, Aeon Provence in France. Okay. Anyway, hey, I took a look at their menu, man. It doesn't look bad. Wow, so the only time that you went off Wikipedia was to look at food? <laughs> yeah. You fat fucking piece of shit. The pork chops look good. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, wow, I could actually write something about this. Me, 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 me. Like, <laughs> this looks scrumptious. <laughs> Theophilus de Garancery, born in 1610, grew up reading Nostradamus' prophecies and became his number one fan. He even became an apothecary like him and also had a known career of selling bullshit during the plague to people. In 1672, Theo made the first translation of Nostradamus' work into English, where he would be kept on bookshelves for the next millennia. Nostradamus has been written about off and on since his death, with his New Age revival coming from France in the late 1970s. Although written about hundreds of times, with every new biography of Nostradamus being printed in the introduction of the prophecies, there is always something new about his life that the last one didn't have. Everything that I've told you about his life is as close to the truth as I can get it, but over the course of several decades, Nostradamus all of a sudden told a man that he would become Pope, and then it happened. He looks into flames to get his prophecies. He correctly mapped the galaxy before anyone else had. And saddest of all, he now got his doctorate from the University of Montpellier, even though he was really expelled. <laughs> Which I think that's the saddest one. Like, yeah, fuck off. No, hold that shit. No. <laughs> some, some fucking nerd fan of his was really just like, no, I don't think he was. Yeah, it's like, big deal, man. It's okay. <sighs> There's even a popular rumor that he was buried with a brass plate on his chest. And when the French exhumed his body to move it to the Collegial Saint Laurent, the plate had that very date etched upon it. Huh? So he knew what day that they would dig him up. Huh? Did you read that on the internet? Uh, no, that was in one of the shitty fucking books I have. Did they read that on the internet? No, they made it up. <laughs> <laughs> Nostradamus's popularity. Yes, an image macro, actually. <laughs> they just unbury him and he's just got like the OK symbol below his knee. <laughs> just like, oh, damn it, he got us. <laughs> Nostradamus's popularity in the latter half of the 20th century quickly led to a movie in 1981 called The Man Who Saw Tomorrow. It was a pseudo-documentary narrated by Orson Welles, who did not believe in any of Nostradamus' bullshit. In fact, while he, he was, was like, wow, this would make great fiction. He was like, this would make a great check for me to 
cash at the liquor store. <laughs> In fact, while he was supposed to be promoting the movie on the Merv Griffin show, Orson Welles said that, quote, one might as well make predictions based on random passages from a phone book. And then he changed the subject. <laughs> <laughs> So Nostradamus gets all this new attention in the late 70s. Let's say 1979, right? Well, he's a big thing for only a short number of years until 1983, when a whole bunch of Nostradamus' original work, I'm talking first edition copies of the prophecies, as well as handwritten notes, all get discovered. And guess what? All that shit about how great he was that uh, got made up over the last 400 years, now verified as bullshit. All that shit about how... um. Sorry, in fact, that quatrain about uh, supposedly about King Henry II's death, that wasn't even added to the prophecies until 1614, long after Nostradamus and King Henry had both died. But the people who started entire careers on Nostradamus for the last few years and were enjoying their success ignored the fact that Nostradamus was just a nobody, and those scholars, some of which are still alive today, have been constantly made fun of since. In fact, one of these guys was berated so much that in 2003, he finally snapped and was like, yeah, I made shit up about Nostradamus. So what? It could have still happened. And the fame in Nostradamus. A lot of things can happen. Yeah. (laughs) The difference here is that you you being a liar is verified. (laughs) Like, I can smack you in the face right now. I'm not going to because I'm not a piece of shit. Right? All right. Now we're mad at you because you made the decision. To be a piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, you're ripping people off trying to be like, yes, this man really did all these things. And it's like anyone who doesn't know any better is, of course, going to read it and be like, holy shit, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. That book that I have from 1994, I got that when I was a little kid. I've held on to it since. I believed Nostradamus's shit back then because when I read it, I was like, holy fuck, dude, this guy's a genius. Because <laughs> I was a child, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And the fame of Nostradamus, whether it's warranted or not, is still strong today, with every major event supposedly being predicted by him. For instance, when George W. Bush got elected in 2000, this became a popular quatrain via chainmail. Come the millennium, month 12, in the home of the greatest power, that's America, the village idiot will come forth to be acclaimed the leader. Huh? Pretty good, right? It's clearly not real, but still... (laughs) I mean, I feel like I feel like anybody who didn't like the president at the time would just spread that around. Yeah, I know I did. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> Nostradamus like, does it again, man. I don't know. <laughs> or here's one about 9-11. And I remember this one being reported on the fucking news. I remember oh this. Oh, God. In the city of God, there will be a great thunder. Two brothers torn apart by chaos while the fortress endures the Pentagon. The great leader will succumb. The third big war will begin when the big city is burning. Thing is, city of God. I, right, that's not supposed to be. <laughs> it's New not York, fucking right? New York. <laughs> <laughs> that's no fucking way, dude. Maybe someplace in Kentucky. I don't know. <laughs> Look, man, I, I've never been because I'm a fucking poor loser. But like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Fairly certain it's not New York City. Fairly certain that's not it. <laughs> like, well, thing is, this was actually written by a Canadian graduate student in 1997. His point in making it back then was that if you're vague enough, anything can be a correct prediction. And look at that. They did it. (laughs) Even right now, if you uh, type Nostradamus into Google and click on the news section, there are big news networks actually publishing articles on if Nostradamus predicted the Queen's death and that King Charles would abdicate the crown. Like, it's all in there. 
And finally, hey man, whatever gets that ad revenue. <laughs> I leave this episode not with a quatrain, but with the lyrics of Iron Maiden's 1983 song "Die with Your Boots On," which was specifically making fun of Nostradamus and his followers at the height of his popularity in the 20th century. Yeah, another prophet of disaster. Who says the ship is lost? Another prophet of disaster, leaving you to count the cost. Taunting us with visions, afflicting us with fear, predicting more for millions, in the hope that one appears. My sources today. The Prophecies of Nostradamus by Michael de Nostradam, Avenel Books, 1980. Nostradamus, Prophecies Fulfilled and Predictions for the Millennium and Beyond by Francis X. King, Carlton Books Limited, First St. Martin's Griffin Edition, and Wikipedia. Did you see that one coming? <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't really have like a, I don't know. I, I hate this. I hate you. I want to, fuck, I'm leaving for a week. 